Welcome to the 324th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you for listening. I hope your week is good. We are going to do a bit of a deep dive into Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I have a special guest, Allie John. Allie is a member of my practice. She is a breast cancer survivor. She is an engineer. She is a hiker. She's also been down the coronary artery disease scare road. And so we're going to talk all about that. But before, I just wanted to get into a little bit. You know, when I changed my practice... Um, several years ago from a traditional cardiology practice to a lifestyle membership practice, I was a little bit afraid that I would be bored. I thought I would get, see healthy people and do nutrition classes, and I would never see anything that really challenged me, and uh, I wouldn't have the adrenaline rush of doing my cardiology procedures, and I was really kind of dumbing my practice down, and everything that I worked for I probably was giving up um, to lead a boring office practice. That couldn't have been further from the truth. I have met some wonderful people uh, from all over the United States with a variety of illnesses and challenges. And one of the things that they all had in common and what they were looking for was a chance to have a voice, a chance to take care of their own health future and play a role as opposed to being a victim or just following doctor's orders, so to speak. You know, and, and I have to admit, you know, I grew up in the era where, you know, uh, what doctor says people do. And, you know, if you did not follow doctor's orders, then you were deemed non-compliant. And we were told about those people that didn't take their medicine or fill their prescriptions, that they were non-compliant. We never discussed that perhaps those medications or procedures were making them feel bad and not feel better, but they were non-compliant. So um, I you know, understand that, that now. The other thing that is fairly universal is no one had the experience that they were educated on the importance of nutrition and exercise as far as maintaining their health. And yes, we all give lip service, you should eat healthy and exercise, but what that really is, I don't believe many physicians know, uh, let alone are able to teach it. We like to take people off of medications, but uh, for the most part, we really don't know how. And um, again, you know, when people are, are never presented an option, I think a lot of times there's fear, uh, fear that the, the, uh, there'll be non-compliance with a nutrition or exercise regimen, but uh, or fear that they're, they're, then they won't do it for long and people are just spinning their wheels and there's a therapy out there that's tried and true, um, that being pharmaceutical and treatments and procedures. So what I'd like to talk a little bit about today is the role of exercise and nutrition, particularly in breast cancer. But first, you know, what are the risk factors of breast cancer? We're told that, you know, nearly one in six women will get breast cancer in their lifetime. Somebody will know someone that has breast cancer. What can you do to prevent it? You can donate to the American Cancer Society. You can buy some yogurt with a pink cap on it. You can wear pink. You can raise money. But does that really change your risk? Of course it doesn't. Um, we know that being overweight uh, carries a huge risk of uh, 
increased risk of breast cancer. And if your body mass index is greater than 30, there's a 20 to 40% increased risk of breast cancer. If you have breast cancer and you're overweight, there's a 33% increased risk of recurrence and all-cause mortality. When we talk about success of a treatment, um, most of the time people are, will, uh, will be presented their relative risk of recurrence has decreased. The tumor is uh, the percentage of chance that the tumor may shrink. The percentage of time that it may take for the tumor to come back Sometimes they talk about reduced overall mortality. Sometimes they talk about mortality from a specific disease such as breast cancer. So the question that I would pose to you to think about is what's important to you. Uh, is quality of life important? Is overall mortality important? Is just surviving breast cancer? I think doc Dr. Colin Campbell put it very eloquently when he talks about the medical establishment being more of a reductionist approach to things. We give people diseases and diagnostic codes, whether it's breast cancer or asthma or hypertension or high cholesterol, coronary artery disease. And most people, or a lot of people, and especially when they get into their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, carry more than one of these diagnoses and they're giving, given treatments and procedures and medications specific for those diseases. But what about the whole person? How does it actually change your overall risk, uh, your overall mortality risk? And that's where diet and exercise come in because a plant-based diet is a, is a universal diet. It, I believe it's the, the most healthy diet that there is to not only decrease cardiovascular risk, but to decrease cancer risk, cancer recurrent risk. There's never been a study that has shown that exercise is bad. But the question is how much, you know? So we all give lip service to, you should eat right and exercise. And a lot of people come into the office and they'll say, I eat a pretty healthy diet. And when we really sit down and talk about it, it's not necessarily a healthy diet. If you're eating out once or twice a week, you really don't have control of your food. You don't have control over whether it's organic or genetically modified. Um, you know, it may or may not contain meat or dairy, is a little bit, a lot. What does all that mean? Exercise, you know, it comes and goes. Uh, for the most part, people, you know, may try to do a little bit, but are they doing enough? What does all that mean? We know from American Heart Association, you know, a minimum 150 minutes a week. But, you know, how does that actually decrease your overall risk of recurrence of breast cancer? Um, and so there actually have been some, some really good studies looking at... Um, the rate of recurrence with exercise. So I'd like to talk a little bit about a study that looked at physical activity before, during, and after chemo for high-risk breast cancer patients. And this was, uh, these patients were taken from the SWOG clinical trial, and they were followed for uh, an average of 89 months or 7.4 years. And it... Uh, looked at um, a, a start of 2,716 people. There were 2,014 2, deemed eligible. 1,607 gave consent for the study. There was a uh, questionnaire that uh, 1,475 people end up returning, and they compl uh, completed the uh, questionnaires or completed the study. There were 1,340 
and um, 1,134 of those actually finished the full follow-up. In that time period, there was a death uh, from when it, uh, the people were um, consented, 1,602, and there was a death uh, waiting for the, in the follow-up period. Overall, um, it looked at exercise, two and a half to five hours of moderate intensity exercise. So, you know, roughly uh, walking an hour five days a week uh, would be on the max end of things, or 1.25 to two and a half hours of vigorous activity. That's getting your heart rate up, the equivalent of running two and a half hours. And what they noted was that uh, people with that exercise in those groups, 55% decrease risk of their breast cancer recurring. I'm saying again, exercise in a high-risk group, 55% decrease risk of cancer recurrence, 55% decrease in cancer recurrence. This is not the microphone talking. I'm saying it for a third time because it's so profound. And a 68% decrease in death from any cause. If the person was diagnosed with breast cancer and they weren't exercising before, but they started, there was still a 46% decrease in breast cancer recurrence and a 43% decrease in all-cause mortality. Those numbers are huge. Those numbers have no side effect. Those numbers also take into account that that exercise is going to decrease the risk of cardiovascular disease, decrease the risk of diabetes, maintain a healthy body weight, maintain healthy joints. In contrast, a gain of uh, a weight gain during cancer therapy, 10% increase in mortality. So how does exercise help with breast cancer mortality? Well, for one, it decreases um, um, things like insulin-type growth factor, which is a stimulus for cancer cell growth. It improves immune function and improves natural killer cells and lymphocytes. Obviously, there's a decrease in oxygen consumption, so you get more nutrients delivered to your body, increase muscle strength, decrease blood pressure. Also, uh, you know, all of these associated with a decrease in overall mortality. As far as nutrition goes, uh, just lowering fat intake. We know that in the China study, breast cancer was decreased by decreasing uh, areas where the um, fat intake was decreased from 24 to 6%. We know that increasing calories from animal proteins from uh, a greater than 10% of the calories from animal protein increases the risk of breast cancer. Dairy is one of the biggest um, factors for getting fat, uh, also getting estrogen in the diet. So we know when you decrease dairy, uh, we decrease the incidence of breast cancer and breast cancer recurrence. In the China study, places where dairy was very low, uh, there was a very low incidence of breast cancer. A lot of people don't realize, we just don't think about it, for a cow to be able to produce milk, it needs to be pregnant. And dairy cows are pregnant roughly 300, well, they're, they're milked 300 days of the year. Much of that time, they are pregnant. The more, the later they are in their pregnancy, the more estrogen that they produce. There's 33% more estrogen than a non, than a, in, a, in a pregnant cow than a non-pregnant cow. I wanted to look up the actual um, amount of estrogen and to see, you know, if there were studies that looked at 
estrogen and tumor growth and how much. And it's funny, the first thing that came up was a study saying, well, in mice, maybe it doesn't have that much uh, to do with it. And that was sponsored by the dairy industry. But Dr. McDougall, McDougall actually looked um, in, in, in his, on his site, you can, he actually stated the amount of estrogen produced by dairy cows. If they're non-pregnant, they produce 15 picograms per milliliter. If um, they're in the first half of their pregnancy, it's 151 picograms per milliliter. And the last half of the pregnancy, it's all the way up to 1,000 picograms per milliliter. So, you know, if you want an estrogen load to stimulate cancer cell growth, you know, dairy's, dairy's the place to get it. So we know fat plays a role, and of course the milk fat, the higher milk fat, the higher the risk, but the protein also plays a huge role. We know that uh, there was a study done in prostate cancer that the mTOR uh, C1 signaling, which is a signal to up uh, regulate the production or the, the promotion of cancer cells. And that was strongly uh, increased with cow's milk. Part of it is because of the branched-chain amino acids. You know, uh, think Jim, think people selling branched-chain amino acids and whey protein causes a marked increase in insulin-like growth factor, both whey protein and casein protein. It's been uh, shown, again, to increase risk in prostate cancer. Um, as, as a side. The other thing uh, that I found very interesting was um, severe acne in adolescence is also uh, associated with increased risk of prostate cancer in, in men. So, you know, get the dairy out of you and uh, of your grandkids and your kids as, as quickly as possible to try to decrease the risk. So exercise and diet, uh, of course, of diet high in fruits and vegetables. We know that carrots, carrot tops, um, actually produce factors that decrease the blood vessel growth, angiogenesis, into cancer cells. We all know that cruciferous vegetables uh, decrease the risk of breast cancer re recurrence. Adding mustard or mustard seed to cruciferous vegetables also improve um, their anti-cancer properties. Mushrooms, a huge anti-cancer properties equal to that of tamoxifen. You know, so why aren't we talking about that in oncology practice, in clinical practice, in primary care, uh, I think it's really important. No matter what therapy you ultimately choose, if you have cancer, diet and exercise needs to be a part of it. So without further ado, I'm going to turn this over to my interview with Allie John, because not only is she a survivor and a thriver, uh, she has some very interesting takes on what she does when she goes hiking for days at a time in plant-based nutrition. And I'm gonna share some of her recipe for, recipes for her energy bar. But I, I have to tell you that if you see Allie, she looks much younger than her stated age. She's very vibrant and active, and uh, I think you will find her a strong motivation. So enjoy the interview with Allie John. I have the distinct pleasure of having a member of our practice who is an endurance athlete from California on the podcast today. So welcome, Allie John. Thanks, Dr. Delaney. It's, it's um, a real pleasure and honor for me to be here. And um, 
I, it's, it's, always, it's always wonderful to talk to you. You're one of the most interesting people I know, for sure. That's, I'm, I'm really sorry for you for that. That's, that's, <laughs> if, I made, if I made that list for you, poor child. But you told me you've been a hiker for, you, you hike with your parents when you were little. So you're used to the secluded, uh, you're, you're, the bar's pretty low for excitement for you probably. You like the <laughs> so, so I don't have to, you know, so, so I'm not that big of a, a big of a challenge. But we met um, and you let, and you agreed to share and you can say, you know, you can give me the, anytime I start to cross a line, but you, you called me basically because you were being referred down a road for cardiology evaluations, more and more testing, and you felt fine. You know, it was just, you were kind of um, perhaps screening tests were maybe a few little things, but you know, you were getting afraid. Um, you're uh, 50 years young right now, I'm 57. 57. 57 years young. Okay. Uh, 57 years young. And you uh, had breast cancer uh, way back in 2007 and, and are doing, and, and is, and doing excellent, we might add. Um, mm -hmm. But as, a, um, a, as, a, as an, an elective surgery, you were being evaluated and uh, we're told that um, you probably need a stress test because your EKG wasn't entirely normal. Mm -hmm. And then your and then your stress test, even though, and you know, we've talked on this podcast before that if you can go 10 minutes on a treadmill test, which is the equivalent we call 10 metabolic units, then that gives anybody a excellent prognosis. You know, I don't even have to see your face or hear anything about you. If you can go 10 minutes on a Bruce protocol where that gets steeper and faster every three minutes you're, you're going to have a good prognosis, regardless of what anything else says. You're better than that guy that can only go three minutes or six minutes. That, that is really good. And sometimes the, the stress tests are stopped earlier. You know, people get to 85% of the predicted maximum heart rate. So the technician doesn't want to stand there all day. So they stop him. He's like, I could have gone further. Um, sometimes it, you know, people are taken, but more often than not, people could have gone a little bit further, but the guy doing the test either for, being a little bit of a hurry or maybe not being quite comfortable with somebody huffing and puffing, uh, running on a treadmill, um, they stop the test. And then we're left with interpretation of EKGs and perhaps nuclear images. And that was in your case as well. So even though you had an excellent functional capacity, um, there was a question whether or not the pictures were entirely normal. Correct? Correct, yes. Yeah. And then, you know, so now we're going to go to heart catheterization. So here you are. And at the time uh, you were running, running and hiking at the time, correct? I was, except we just, I live in California and we just had six weeks of smoke. So I, I don't run in the smoke. So I was actually pretty out of shape. Mm -hmm. that but, but you had been, you didn't stop running. You didn't stop your exercise because of feeling bad. You stopped it because of outdoors. Right. Being yeah. Bad. I just exercised inside. Yeah. yeah. So, but you weren't having any shortness of breath or chest pain or anything that no. worried you. No. no. You know, so the question became, you know, what to do. Um, you know, what is the safest route for you to go? And that comes up quite a bit. It actually happened to me today. I got a phone call, similar situation. Uh, somebody was going to have uh, a minor procedure done. They had an abnormal EKG. They referred for a bunch of stuff. What do we do? What do we do? And, you you know, the, again, looking at the stress test, how long you were able to walk, walking is, you know, your functional capacity is huge. And I think that's, 
what's really important to take time to talk to somebody is what do you do? You know, we had the, um, you know, look at somebody face to face and, you know, tell me, tell me what you do. And you had been very active and hadn't any symptoms. So your pretest probability, so to speak, of having significant coronary artery disease was very low. You weren't having chest discomfort or shortness of breath. You hadn't stopped, you know, and so it made the test less accurate right then and there because, you know, we, we want to use a test to confirm our hypothesis that somebody might have a disease. You know, so if you're wheezing and I do a chest x-ray and there's pneumonia, then I conclude that there's something going on in your lungs because I heard something on exam and I confirmed it with the test of a x-ray. Same thing with a stress test. You tell me you have a symptom um, and I'm going to either confirm that you may have, I'm going to increase the probability that you have significant coronary artery disease, or I'm going to exclude that you have significant coronary artery disease with that test. That's what I'm hoping to do. But if you have a low probability to start with, it decreases the accuracy of that test. Being able to walk a long time, 10 minutes or greater, again, that shifts one towards everything's fine. With women, um, the breast tissue gets in the way um, or breast implants can get in the way. Positioning in men, diaph the diaphragm actually gets in the way sometimes and it can make what we call false positives. So you have somebody that has now pictures that aren't quite normal and now what do we do with it? And so the knee-jerk reaction is typically to go to a heart catheterization so we can look at the coronary arteries directly to exclude a problem that might make you more at risk for surgery. But if you're, you know, but when we go back, if your functional capacity or your ability to do things was already good, then how can I make you better with any coronary intervention. So you're not having a heart attack. So putting a stent in you with you're not having a heart attack won't make you live a day longer, won't protect you in a surgery. Matter of fact, we're gonna give you blood thinner, thinner afterwards, which may make a surgery more complicated and have more risk. Um, you know, and, and so it, it becomes very muddy. So it's kind of like the more rocks you turn over, if you keep looking, you can get yourself in the pickle and each of the steps carries more risk, stroke, heart attack or death. So you know, you walked into an office feeling great, and now I'm gonna give you a 1% chance of stroke, heart attack, or death. 1% um, is more than most people in the United States are willing to take COVID, right? Everybody, you know, the risk of dying from COVID is somewhere around 1% within most individuals, and that's really scary for them. Yet we sign people up every day for a heart catheterization with a risk of stroke, heart attack, or death, of 1%. And we say it real fast like that. You know, Ellie, you might have a risk of stroke, heart attack, or death of 1%. Can you sign right here, please? <laughs> you know, and, you know, if you're given a little bit of time to think about that, all of a sudden, you know, well, what does that 1% mean to me? Um, so, you know, we'll fast forward, you know, um, you did well, and we, and you didn't have any of those procedures, and you're still doing well, and you're hiking. But since it's breast cancer month, I thought we'd go back and talk about your story a little bit. Okay. So 2007, you were diagnosed with, um, with a, did you have a, a lump or did you, was it a screening exam or how did it go? Yeah, it was in 2006 when I first discovered it and um, I felt it 
myself and my doctor confirmed it and I went through the standard um, treatment of lumpectomy and then it was staged at 2A and I elected to have a double mastectomy even though I just had it in one breast. Actually, I had several tumors in one breast, so I was very, very scared and concerned. And, um, and I didn't know any, any different then, so I just went with the regular treatment, and I had the double mastectomy and uh, uh, th three rounds of chemo and did the whole thing, lost my hair. You know, I got really tired, and, um, and uh, yeah, and during that whole process, I was asked, and the, um, the head of uh, breast cancer uh, doctor, cardio, uh, oncologist was my doctor. And I kept asking her, do, is there anything I can do? Because I kind of had the sense that I, there was something I could do with my diet and lifestyle. And she said, no, there's nothing you can do to change. Don't change your diet. There's no point. And so I didn't. I kept, and I was eating quite a bit of meat. Um, my husband liked to barbecue and we would eat a lot of meat. Um, and so I, I got better and it didn't come back, but I was, after the chemo, I gained quite a bit of weight. I would, was 30 pounds heavier than I am now. Um, and that was uncomfortable for me. And, uh, and it wasn't until, um, uh, I was 50 that I, um, I happened on a, um, PBS special with Dr. Furman talking about, uh, plant-based nutrition and super immunity. And, and it just kind of clicked for me. I'd always been, I'm an engineer, but I've, I'm also interested in nutrition. And so I just, it just, it just really made sense. And I just went in whole, whole hog and, uh, <laughs> um, but it was hard, you know, just doing it by myself. It was super hard. Yeah, that um, it, it, it is because you're, everybody else is kind of trying to pull your here. I made this just have a bite, you know, a bite won't hurt you. Right. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, a little bit of this or, you know, it's already made and, you know, it won't hurt you. We're just going out. Yeah, it'll be OK. Just one meal. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to, um, on, on that aspect of things. And when you went uh, plant based, the 30 pounds come off pretty easy or. Oh, yeah. Plant based whole foods. Um, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, they came off. It was fun. Like every week I lost like a pound and a half. It just kind of came off. I lost the weight and um, in about three, three or four months, it was gone. And, and I, I think about that time I started running too. Yeah, I did. I started running at that time too. Anybody tell you, hey, running's good for breast cancer recurrence? Nope, no, no, told me. <laughs> No. You know, so the so the thing that you can do, right? The the best thing that you can do if you have breast cancer, or you want to prevent it, is being a normal body mass index, and uh, being physically fit and exercising on a daily basis, and eating a plant based diet. Those are like three, you know. I mean, there's the three great things that you know you can do for yourself to assure that it won't come back, or that uh, you know maybe you'll decrease your your risk in the first place. Um, or delay, you know, I mean, there may be people that have a very strong genetic history. And the question is, can you delay it? Um, or the or the aggressiveness? Uh, we know that even with an abnormal gene, we have to you have to have something else just having an abnormal gene sitting there. Um, if you have a hand grenade, and you're sitting there holding it, nothing's going to happen. It's when you pull the plug that things start to go and pulling the plug for a cancer usually means some environmental exposure, whether it's nutrition or other, other environmental exposures, um, you know, um, and, and growth factors. 
And, you know, hormonal growth factors in the form of dairy and protein are, are you know, um, Dr. Campbell did a lot of research on the growth factors associated with animal proteins. And above 10% of the calories of one's daily intake being animal proteins, the curve starts to really go up uh, for these enzymes that drive cancer. So yeah, it'd be nice if, um, you know what I mean? It's in those three interventions um, don't really have any bad side effects. You know, exercise, you can have a little injury here now and then, but none of them tend to be too debilitating and being a normal body mass index. And you know, when the weight fell off of you when you went plant-based, that was a positive reinforcement. you know, and nobody's ever got, nobody's ever got worse eating plant-based. It's kind of funny. People say, eat your vegetables. Everybody agrees that broccoli, cruciferous vegetables is good for breast cancer. And everybody, you know, everybody agrees, eat your vegetables, but you know, then you can eat everything else too. And uh, I think, you know, Dr. Esselstyn shows a slide with cardiovascular disease on nitric oxide producing greens on one axis and then animal products on the other axis. And so you can make all the nitric oxide you want with your kale, but if you're chasing it with a sirloin, you're gonna block it. And same thing with your, you know, the cruciferous vegetables. We can feel good about eating cruciferous vegetables, but if we're doing all the other things, then, you know, how, how good is it? Um, but anyway, you've, you know, you, you kind of backed into it. So it was, you know, really, really good that, that you did uh, and things have went well. So. Are you still the only one in your family that's plant-based? Uh, no, um, my sister is probably 99% plant-based. And um, I have a very good friend who's 100% plant-based. I've encouraged her, I don't, I don't really remember who, if I, if I was, was the one who inspired her or not, but anyway, it's, it's, it's great to have a friend who's a plant-based too. And, and also I have, I have two friends who are plant-based and plant-based whole foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really nice. Uh, unfortunately, my husband, um, he, he, while he loves vegetables, he still likes his meat and he has the kind of constitution where, where so far he's kind of gotten away with it. Um, so we just kind of work around that as best we can, but he, he doesn't really cook a lot of meat inside the house. And so, which I don't, now that I'm plant-based, it's, let, it's really unpleasant to have meat in the kitchen. Uh, I'm sure you understand how that I do. It's like, it's, it's so easy to do dishes when it's just plant-based whole foods. You basically have to rinse stuff off and, you know, dry them. Um, so, uh, but, but yeah, uh, it wasn't until I started meeting with uh, um, your nutritionist, Addie, that I started to, to, that really brought me to a new level of, of uh, nutrition. Um, because even though I knew intellectually how to eat, having like a coach like Addie, who's so, she's so kind and understanding, uh, really changed my life. And I, it really improved every, she said, every single meal has to be balanced for optimal aging. And that really stuck with me. I'm like, yeah, I want optimal aging. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, so I have to actually have something red. I can't just have, you know, mushrooms and beans and rice. I have to have like chop up some red bell peppers too. And so every single meal I look at it, I'm like, will, will Addie be happy with this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we all know if Addie's happy, we're all happy. And then she'll, if she listens to this podcast, she will really get on me for that one. But we laugh uh, about it. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's definitely the, the, the happy one, the positive one in, in this, uh, this practice. I, I sometimes lay down the gauntlet, but Addie's the, she's the good coach encourager. So. Yeah. Uh, she's really, that, that surprised me how, because I knew when I first met with her, she's so much younger than me. I'm like, well, what can she, you know, do for me? <laughs> but she's so kind and encouraging. And, um, and I always feel better about myself after I talk to her. So, so it helps with the emotional aspect of eating as well as the, just the, the kind of clinical aspects of eating. You said something that, that made me giggle because um, obviously this is, you know, just an audio podcast. But when I met you, I mean, you look very fit. You look much younger than your stated age. You know, you're an engineer. You're a well-accomplished woman. And you said, well, I was afraid to talk to Addie. She was a bit intimidating, you know. And then I speak with Addie and she's going to go on a call and she's like, well, you know, I'm so young. Nobody believes what I say. And, you know, uh, you know, and, and so and. And when she has looked at her plate over time, you know, people think, well, she has perfect nutrition and always was. And, and certainly that's not the case for any of us. Um, but you just see today, like the Polaroid shot, you know, we see today what people look like. We don't know the backstory at first. And it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's quite uplifting on all ends. So it's like, yeah, you know what, you know, um, so she wasn't perfect either, or, you know, or you're not actually, you, you have, you know, you learn something from, uh, you know, a 29 year old. How could that possibly be? They don't know anything. Uh, <laughs> well, she really and, does. She really and, does know yeah, a lot. And she, you know, and, um, and it is, I think it's spending time with people and, you know, part of this, I believe, is sharing experiences that makes it um, much more interesting and, and much more educational for everybody around. I learn from the members, you know, I learn because of the members. If it, you know, when I first dis, um, decided to change the practice to more of a wellness practice and take on people that weren't just heart patients or, you know, uh, cardiovascular disease, and I'm not going to go to the cath lab anymore, and I'm not going to do all this, but she's like, man, I am going to be bored out of my mind. You know, I'm just going to be sitting here listening to people, how healthy they are, you know, how, who, who needs me, right? If I'm just going to take, and it's been amazing what has walked in and the challenges that I've actually had to face with different people. Uh, and it's, and it's very, very rewarding for us to be able to speak with somebody and, and maybe find that one little aspect of, oh, you know, my plate's not that colorful or, you know, I am missing this nutrient or maybe you know i i could you know run a little longer hike a little longer uh, or plant or eat plant-based while i'm hiking yes <laughs> yeah yeah that i think think uh, addy really encouraged me to to uh improve my backpacking nutrition well she was very impressed with your um with your backpacking uh nutrition you went uh recently for a four day trip you you hike you've hiked all your life for the most part and mm -hmm. uh, you'll just take off in the mountains of California you and your dog is that right yeah i um i either go alone with my dog or i have uh four girlfriends that go with me too on trips and so this was a four day trip this last one or this most recent? Uh, uh, let me think. Yeah, yeah, that was four four day trip at Saddleback Lake, 
uh, near Mono Lake in California with uh, my, uh, I think it was, I think there were five of us. Yeah, I think there was four of my girlfriends. <laughs> yeah. And you carry all your food in, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have big backpacks. And um, we're, you know, some of us are getting a little older, so we only backpack in about four miles. Um, but we were up at 10,000 feet, so the altitude was a factor. And then we make it like a base camp, and then we do um, a couple days of hiking, just day hikes from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're all kind enough. And we share food. We all cook together. Um, we, we share like cooking duties and they're all kind enough to go vegan for me during that trip. Oh, wow. Okay. So everybody goes vegan for the trip. Yeah. Well, yeah, except they bring their cheese for snacks and stuff yeah. but, um, <laughs> but for the shared meals. Yeah. But it's not, um, they use oil, so it's not quite as healthy as I'm used to and sugar and stuff. So, and I, I, I don't try to push them to go plant-based whole foods for those things. Yeah. 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 You want to have at least a couple friends left, right? Yeah. <laughs> But I made, but this time I made my own hummus and snack bars, which I just loved. They made me feel so good. And are these the black bean brownie power bars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were very elegantly plated here when uh, you sent them. So I'll, if you don't mind, I'll read the ingredients. Um, so how many of these things, uh, they make 24 bars, two cups, because I'm looking at it, it's like two cups of rolled oats, a cup of walnuts, a cup of black beans that are cooked, a cup of currants, two teaspoons of cinnamon, one teaspoon of turmeric, three tablespoons of flax, three tablespoons of chia, a little bit of pepper, quarter cup of soy milk, quarter cup of maple syrup, and some lime juice as the secret ingredient, I would guess, that gives yes. them a little bit. <laughs> and you end up baking those at 375 for 20 minutes, and they look fabulous. They're absolutely divine. I mean, they're, just, they're, they're, they're quite sweet because of the currants and the maple syrup. But they also have the um, the beans give like a real long term energy, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I just I just love them. I can have them any time of day, even for like a meal when I'm backpacking. <laughs> like, uh huh. Yeah. So. so. So would this be something that you would take while on the on the hike of the day? Um, for the most part, is that what you would rely on while yeah. you're hiking? Yeah, like we 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 all like eat our own breakfast and lunch. So like on a day the day hikes, I would. Um, I'd bring up, you know, a bunch of the, a couple of those and um, the hummus and um, the little rice, the puffed rice cakes. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I, that was my, that was my lunch. Um, uh, I might, I sometimes I bring some like nori snacks kind of thing and uh, pretty much, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Mm-hmm. And it makes me, it gives me tons of energy and I can really feel it up at 10,000 feet. You can feel if you have low energy. Mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking that I don't I don't run marathons, but that's kind of like my marathon is um, planning for these for these trips up at high altitude and training. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I think I think it would be yeah that um, that feeling that you want to just lay down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was I was on fire this trip. I was just like run me and and my dog Andy were just all over the place, which Very is a great good. feeling at fifty seven. You know, it's a fantastic feeling perhaps different than you may have thought of it would be like it to, in 2007? Oh, yeah. Um, I used to, yeah, I was, I was backpacking then still, but I was, uh, oh, oh, when I had cancer. Oh, when I was going through chemo. Oh, yeah, I thought I might die. Oh, yeah, I was very depressed. Yeah, I was extremely depressed. Yeah, I was really glad that I made it through that and uh, to the other side, for sure. Yeah, yeah, if anyone listening has cancer, that you know, sure, something bad might happen, but the other option is you might live and have a fantastic <laughs> life. 
and an opportunity to grow. I mean, you know, if you just if you just can look back and see the growth that you've had since that diagnosis, it's almost, you know, I've heard people say, not that you would wish anything bad on anybody else, but in some respect, it was life-changing to the point where it made you more healthy in your 50s, perhaps, by the journey that you were on, as maybe if nothing would have happened to you, you would have been the usual you know, pack on 10 pounds, a couple every decade or so. And, you know, maybe wouldn't, you wouldn't be hiking in your 50s. It's true. It's very, very true. Um, it was a real, um, really changed my life and made me realize I want to live and I want to live well. I want to enjoy my life. I want to do all the physical things I want to do. And I want, I don't want to have headaches. I, I want to feel good and um, keep growing and learning. I'm a lifelong learner. I love to learn things and like I, I learned how to run and which is a new thing and I do Pilates now and started my own business um so yeah it's it's I've had a really great life and yeah so it sounds like you're still going strong this is a new chapter um as opposed to uh, well I'm going to wind down here now and ride into the sunset no yeah I don't understand people who are like that <laughs> yeah I don't get that <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I would have to agree with you when I changed the practice, it was like a new chapter in my, um, you know, my whole career, it became something different. I was a little bit, a little bit bored with the standard cardiovascular protocol. We keep doing the same things. We get pretty much the same answers. And then all of a sudden there's this new horizon uh, to be able to, you know, to, to, to expand in. And I, I think once you understand that, you know, with plant-based nutrition that, you know, when it comes down to your overall health, nutrition plays a huge role. Um, and in exercise, you're, you know, moving plays a huge role in your overall physical being. If you, you know, it, it, it is much more powerful than any of the medicines that I've experienced in my other practice life you know, much more powerful than any of the procedures that I experienced in my practice life. And it's, you know, I don't know that I could have started out there. I had to have the, you know, I had to have that beginning part of the practice to realize it's like, oh my goodness, there's another way around this. Um, but it's, but it's so shocking to me that nobody else wants, a lot of my colleagues, I should, I should, I'm not going to say nobody, but my, a lot of my colleagues would, you know, don't trust the power of nutrition and exercise enough to make it a priority. And um, yeah, I mean, it's great. You know, I'm part of the, I'm part of the experiment as well. You know, I have a family history of cardiovascular disease. I'm 59 years old. So, you know, I, I want to keep, uh, you know, at least carrying the torch part of the time, you know, while others, you know, while we all age health, healthfully together, I think that's, you know, that's part of the, the part of the plan as well. Yeah, well, I, I'm so grateful that I um, am able to be part of your practice and talk to you once a month. Uh, it's it's really, it's it's a phenomenal thing and I'm very grateful for it and to have you, you leading the way. <laughs> and uh, I, I admire your um, your marathon running and your, your tries and your Ironmans and and I've, I've been listening to you because I, I don't, I, I usually just run like three to five miles, so I, but I've been listening to you and it, it seems like it might be um, advantageous to my health to increase my distances. 
And uh, so I have that in the back of my mind. <laughs> you know, we have uh, several people. There's there's one member, and I always, you know, um, uh, you know, quarter is like never, you know, never can I imagine doing this. And then the next thing you know, she's doing this. And and I, I the same thing. You know, I I started running marathons be- to raise money for the American Diabetes Association. It's almost a joke now when I think about it. You know, I want to take my mother. To, she's my mother's Italian. I wanted to, you know, there's this American Diabetes trip to Rome, raise money for the American Diabetes. So it's like seemed like a winner for all. We get to go to Italy. We'll raise money for the American Diabetes Association, and my mother gets to see, you know, her her roots. And now I want to scream, "I have the answer! I have the answer!" You know, it's nutrition. <laughs> but um, you know, I that's that's kind of what you know got me started. And I never considered myself a runner. I was a golfer. I did consider myself a golfer. You know, I you know, and it's like you know, I I have all the nerd box checked. I was you know a nerdy student, science student that golfed, you know, and I was in the band, you know. So I had all those box checked. Athletics, you know, the uh, my biggest athletic feat really was when I was in the I was in the college marching band, and we used to do this really fast two twenty march out to the field, make the state of West Virginia. That was the extent of my cardio. At wow. the point, you know, at the point, right? So, you know, I was not a not a runner, and I can remember standing on the start line of my very first five mile race, looking at people's legs and their shoes, and thinking, "Man, I would love to be seeing golf clo- golf shoes right now instead of these running shoes and these, you know, these calves and, and hamstrings that I'm seeing." It's like I am so intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and so it, it was a while into it. And it's like, you know, I think I might be a runner now, you know, after a couple of me. And my a, a friend of mine said, you should do an iron. And it's like, who in their right mind would want to ride a bicycle 112, 114 miles and then run a marathon? You have to be out of your mind. You know, it's just, and she's like, no, it's it's not as bad as a marathon. It's like, that can't be true, you know? And she, she, she's not going as fast, you know? And it's like, you know, next thing you know, you know, you're following the rest of the people on the line for the bike, you know, and doing and doing these things. And um, so you know, never say never. You never you never know. You you too might end up in Stewart, Florida next March running. <laughs> well, that sounds like so much fun that I'm, I'm tempted to join that <laughs> one of these years for sure. One of these years. I think it's going to be a, I think we're going to make it a tradition before I think it's going to I think it's going to catch. I'm hoping it's going to catch on. So we'll, we'll see, but, um, yeah, I think that, you know, so you hike, you bring your food, your friends don't mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you cook around the campfire when you come back to base camp? Uh, oh, like if I'm cooking, um, cause I have one night where I cook, uh, I'm, I make a plant-based whole food meal. Um, I, I add like miso, so it's saltier for them. Uh, so I make, I dry my, I, I, at home, I, I make, um, like black beans in my Instapot and then I dry it in my food dehydrator, I dry the beans. So I have beans that don't have salt added. And um, so I use the, I make like a stew with my dried beans, um, quinoa, and um, like I'll dry some red red bell peppers at home. So I'll make like dried dried vegetables in there and like maybe like chopped uh, uh, baked tofu, like the kind you buy at the store because it has a nice savory taste that everyone likes. And then I'll I'll just boil that um, for like half an hour because at high altitude, it takes a long time to cook. There you go. And, um, add some miso. Everyone's just loves that. Every, Cause it's kind of like a bean stew, which is really sounds hard. Good. It sounds know. really good. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Do you ever dry uh, dehydrate kale and bring with it and put in it? Do you ever do that? Oh, yeah, I do that. that that's, okay. Thanks for mentioning that. I do bring dehydrated kale and add it in there. Yeah, I, I try to eat as much kale as possible when I'm backpacking, but it's, it's a little harder. I don't, I don't really, you know, eat as healthy as when I'm at home, but then I... Right, right. I'm, and I also make food for when I get back. I freeze food, like maybe sauteed kale or sauteed mushrooms and quinoa and stuff. I'll freeze that So because I'm really tired when I get back. So mm -hmm. I won't, like have the energy to cook when I get back. So I'll, I'll freeze stuff when I get back and try to kind of get back into my routine as quickly as possible. Great. Yeah, I'm always trying to eat more greens, man. It's hard to get it in. It, it is, but once you, you, you know, you, I kind of look forward to it. You know, it's, it's to, I, I oscillate. I, like, I, I think for lunch, I like my giant salad the best of any lunch. But I also hate to waste food. So I feel compelled to go through leftovers on, you know, to some degree on occasion, if we don't, if there's not something I can repurpose for another dinner down the week, you know, so I, I kind of like look back and forth and sometimes that, you know, at least I like, you know, I think I've posted a couple of days, you know, over the past couple of weeks where I, I at least have some, some raw greens and then I'll do my leftovers. Cause I feel like I get cheated out of my green, my, my big salad if I have the leftovers, but on the other hand, you know, I like the leftovers too. So uh, so it's the best of both worlds. I saw, you know, on your food log, Addie shared with me that, you know, you're a pretty hard eater for a, a small person. And I think that that's, you know, we, we talked about, um, um, early before we started recording, um, sometimes people don't get excited about their, especially if they're new to plant-based their meals and maybe they don't eat quite as much, but you know, you eat like I do at lunchtime, you know, you have your, your mushrooms and I assume that you're getting the mushrooms in as anti-cancer as well as yes. taste. Mushrooms uh, are very power powerful anti-cancer. So that, you know, so you have that, you know, you have your grains, your quinoa, uh, again, that red pepper to make things look colored, your beans, kale, cauliflower, again, another cruciferous vegetable for anti-cancer. Um, some microgreens, which are, you know, fabulous uh, to get onto things because you get so much bang for your buck as far as, you know, a little handful of microgreens give you a head of kale for the most part. Yeah, I, I grow them. I grow, grow them in my kitchen. Great. Do, what kind of growing medium do you use? There's a kit. There's a place in West Sacramento that has this kit that you buy. Um, I think it's Hamana. Hamana, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Was that Sacramento? I didn't know that came from Sacramento. So I think it's West Sacramento. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Uh, yeah, we have a couple different members that uh, use use that kit. It's I, really, really easy. It's and it's a little bit cheaper than buying like a tray at the store. Uh -huh. uh, well, yeah, they can be quite expensive, and you don't know how old they are too. Sometimes mm -hmm. um, I oscillate back before. You can buy a jute mat, and then you can also order. Um, it's like little balls of it's coconut coir that are basically dehydrated coconut um, husk processed. So when you put them in water, they expand. So then you have dirt. <laughs> so you literally just put them in a bowl, um, put water on them, and then you can put them on the bottom of the tray and you have your dirt bed, so to speak. But it's all coconut. It's not, you know, really dirt, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but I found that they grow really, you know, that they almost grow better on that than the, the uh, jute mat that I, that I get. The jute mat's a little easier. You just wet it and put the seeds on it. But 
Yeah, I, it's so fun to watch. You know, it's so fun to watch them start to sprout, and then the next day, you know, they're kind of yellow, and then all of a sudden, you, you expose them to light, and they just turn green. I, I I find that process. It's so. I guess you get feedback quicker. You know, when I plant something outside, I go out and stare at the dirt to see if something's coming up. Something's coming up. Something. Can you have to wait yeah. so long? But with the yeah. microgreens, you get feedback. You know, seven days you're eating your greens, so it's. Uh, it's it's super easy and and it is fun. It's pr- pretty to have in the kitchen the green color and uh, yeah, it's fun. It's 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 because I used to try to do the sprouting in the jars, but then you always have to change the water twice a day, and I would forget and it would rot. And <laughs> with the um, Hamana trays, it's it's super easy. It's kind of like you start it and you water every five days or something. Or something. yeah, it's not like yeah, and, then you- and then I just snip off snip off a piece or two when, whenever I want to. No, I, I really, really enjoy it. I like, um, I play around and do different, you know, I'll sprinkle different seeds and then, you know, kind of do the taste test to see if I can, cause it just amazes me so much that one little microgreen so tiny has so much flavor and you can tell what it is, you know, whether it's a radish or a broccoli or a leek or you know, it, um, it, it is really, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, Allie, well, I'll let you get back to work, but it's certainly been a pleasure uh, sneaking in a, a little talk and, you know, you're, you're doing fabulous. You're an inspiration to us all. And um, now I want to go hiking and carry dehydrated food. <laughs> if I, I can figure out, I was trying, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking in an ultra, because I, I know Michael's going to say, He's always saying, what can, you know, when we bring our own food for ultras, because it gets, you don't, you know, after a while, you don't want any part of that sugary gel. It's like a bad Halloween trick-or-treating day. You know, you just don't want any more sugary stuff. And so you want something a little savory. And, you know, how do you carry it? You know, do you carry potatoes or, you know, so I'm I'm sure he's going to try to tell me tonight. Um, um, you can dehydrate this and somehow we can have them, you know, the people at the aid station reconstituted or somehow. <laughs> Maybe just, maybe I'll just make him the bean bars and we'll go from there and see how that works. Yeah, go for it. Let me know. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with me. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. All right. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Dr. Delaney. I certainly did. I appreciated her taking time out of her day to speak and to share her story. I think it uh, it's always better when you can learn from uh, someone that's experienced um, a particular thing in life and, and is encouraging to other people. So uh, she certainly made our practice better by sharing her story and, um, and letting us uh, interact with her. And uh, yeah, I think I'm going to try those dehydrated uh, meals. I think it'd be good to take on a vacation if people go camping. Um, that's a good way to not, or boating. I know somebody that, that does a lot of boating. You could, you could de- dehydrate the meals and be easy, uh, less storage. So all kinds of good ideas today. Get out and run, in move, eat plant-based. Um, know that there is hope for a better future. There is hope um, that you can reverse your lifestyle disease and that you can be in control. And don't uh, forget to question your physician. If uh, people don't like questions, then you need to find another physician. 
If you'd like to learn more about our practice, uh, go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com, and learn how you can become a member. Uh, you can uh, have a level one membership with Addie, our registered dietitian nutritionist. Uh, you can do a level two where you speak with Addie once a month and myself once a month, or you can become a full member. Um, all members have access to our webinars, our monthly uh, wellness challenge, our uh, log book or our private member's website of a, a bunch of exercises and, and menu plans and uh, recipes. So we'd love to interact with you, share your story with us, and help you to uh, become as healthy as you possibly can. So thank you again for listening. Thank you again, Allie, and I'll look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you.